All right, so Acts 16. Hey, guys. Acts 16 is Paul's second missionary journey. And you can have a map. Is this the same one? This is the new one. Yeah. This is Paul's second missionary journey. And we know that him and Barney had a little bit of a problem, so they they didn't go back together uh, through this way. Um, Barnabas uh, went to Cyprus with, with, um, with Mark, which is his hometown, his home country. And um, Paul, he went out and uh, took Silas, and he came to Derby and Lystra. Now, if you look on the map, you can see he started out here at the main hub of Antioch, and, you know, he went through Tarsus, and now he's in Galatia, Derby, Lystra, Iconium. So he's going this way, up here, and then he'll end up coming back. <clears throat> but there's something in the beginning of 16 here. It says, he came to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman <clears throat> who was a believer, But his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So why do you think he made Timothy um, do this after what we read about in chapter 15? Everybody, anybody remember what the chapter, who could summarize chapter 15 in a couple of sentences? What happened in chapter 15 of the book of Acts? The council. Right. Elder meeting. The council of Jerusalem. And the whole thing was to do what? It was to say whether or not Gentiles, Gentiles needed to, to become the, Jews or, yeah. go ahead, Chris. Had to follow all the uh, ceremonial laws. Yeah. Right. And so Paul's like fresh off of this. And, and this, I love these little glimpses into Paul's personality because, you know, he's, um, he, 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 he's definitely a leader. He's definitely a, somebody that is sort of takes things in his own hands sometimes, as we're going to see um, uh, in a little bit as, they, as, they, uh, as he confronts another woman who's demon-possessed. But Paul wanted to take this guy with him, and he says, let's, let's just circumcise this guy so that way when people ask, he'll be able, he'll be okay. It won't cause as much problems, right? Because not everybody now, it's not like oh, they posted the meeting minutes on the website, and everyone in all the churches now knows this. They're still having to fight this battle. But primarily, Paul's, what's Paul's number one um, uh, I, sh- I should say missionary ground. When he goes into an area, where does he go? The synagogues, right? And so even if Paul wanted to, they would never allow him in the synagogues with a Greek that's uncircumcised. That they, He'd be unclean. He wouldn't be allowed to come in. So he's, he knows that he has to go, and he's going to be um, not only going around through the second missionary journey, but he's also going to be hitting all the synagogues again, or at least that's what he's thinking he's going to do. 
So he wants, uh, we're going to start to get into Acts 16 and 17, we're in 16, but in 17, we start, we see him going into the marketplaces, we see him going, you know, he's in, he's in Athens, um, he's in, we're going to see him cross over the Asian Sea and get into Philippi and all these other areas, which um, will be less opportunity um, uh, in terms of synagogues, but still, he wants to bring this guy. Now, who know, you guys know who Timothy is? Right, everybody knows that Timothy is um, <clears throat> one of Paul's disciples. Timothy is the uh, recipient of First and Second Timothy, which are the pastoral epistles. Timothy was a young guy; he was really wise in the scriptures. He was raised up um, with two uh, a mother and a grandmother who were believers, as we know. And so Paul really saw something, probably, you know, met him on his first journey, had his eye on him. And, you know, now he's like, this guy's <clears throat> very well spoken of. I, want, I need another partner. Hey, Claudia. And, we, you know, we're, we're going to bring him in. <clears throat> so, so, and again, like, you know, look at verse four. Now they were passing through the cities and they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So Paul wasn't abandoning the council advice. He was just using some common sense and some practical uh, techniques to get the gospel out. And he said, hey, let's get Timothy. And that way this will be one less stumbling block. So <clears throat> this is interesting. So they passed through... Uh, the the uh, Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they go through here, <clears throat> right, and they're in this region, and Paul's like, "Wow, this is ripe territory. Let's let's go into Asia, right?" And as we know, a this is the Asia Minor. This is a, one of the most, in, in another 20 years, the most thriving area as it relates to the Christian uh, church. One of the biggest populations of Christians is Asia Minor. And that's who the book of Revelation is written to, primarily the first four chapters, uh, really chapters two and three, um, before we get to the scene up in heaven in chapter four. But this, that, that's a letter written to the seven churches, um, Philadelphia, Laodicea, uh, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, and Smyrna, Ephes uh, Ephesus, Laodicea, I said that. So those, if you look at the belly of, of Asia, you can see that, it's pretty neat. <clears throat> so why would the Holy Spirit stop them? And what does it mean to be forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word? What does that mean? Does that mean Great Commission is over? Don't go into all the nations? Just for someone else, I guess, or for a different time. Hey, buddy. <clears throat> Remember um, before Paul got sent out, right, to his first journey? He was called and sent by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, we have to realize, is the one that we have to depend upon when we go out to preach the gospel, when we go out to share our faith. And I'm not saying that. The, the, the normative principle is go, 
and speak the God, preach the gospel, right? But there are times where God may say to you, hold on a second. You're accelerating a little bit too much. I'm guiding you. I'm leading you. Seek me for advice, right? Throughout the whole Old Testament, we see, I shouldn't say the whole Old Testament, but we see through David's life. David was a man of war. David was a, a, you know, a valiant warrior and pretty much was heavyweight champion of the world back then. I mean, anywhere he went, he, he, was, he was successful. But he still always, most of the time, before he started getting a little cocky and started doing things on his own, he would seek God out for direction on where he was to go fight. Should I go up into the, <clears throat> into the stronghold of the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand, Lord? And so the same God is telling, is telling and leading us and leading these missionaries. I don't want you to go down to Asia now. I'm forbidding you to do that. What does that also presuppose about Paul and his life and Silas and Timothy? Yeah, yeah. who said that? Claudia. Yes, what did you say? They asked, right? They were seeking God in prayer. And so we have to constantly be seeking the Lord for direction. And not only when we go, but we have to constantly seek the Lord for direction as we go. And you have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean you want to get too mystical about it. Just go, but God will let you know. You know, like... Especially when I when I first became a believer, I would I would always you know if I saw somebody on the side of the road, it's like is the spirit leading me to pull over and share to them, you know, share with them, or should I pick this person up or talk to them? And I, I'll never forget, I was in the I was in the gym in Point Pleasant. It was Gold's Gym at the time, and I was on the stairmaster, and I was reading the Book of John, and I was looking at this guy on a machine. And I just, as an older guy, and I said, you know, who do you want me to share with, Lord? And I looked down at the Bible, and it said, um, it was John 16 or 17, where Jesus says, you know, let's get up, let's go now, or something like that. So I'm like, God's leading me to do that. And I went, I was like, you're going to think this is really weird, but I think the Lord is leading me to share the gospel with you. He's like, all right, right, God, you know, gave him a track and share the gospel. So I think that's a little bit, you know, too introspective, <clears throat> but we do have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and the leading of it because there, there is God, it is God's timing. Yeah, because he, yeah, <laughs> put it on to, yeah, do likewise. Yeah, and then we see in verse 7, so, and then after they came to uh, Maja, they were trying to go into Bithynia. So they were trying. They were like, let's do, but guess what? The Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. So here we see a really cool um, insight into the belief of the early church, um, the doctrine of the deity of the Holy Spirit. The, the fullness of God is in the Holy Spirit. The fullness of God is the Holy Spirit. And the fullness of God is Jesus. And we see them here used interchangeably. The Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus. Not two different people. 
two different persons. So they come down to Troas, which is like right um, at the edge there. Um, uh, if you see, we're right up here now. So they, they, they bypassed Asia and Bithynia and all this area, and they, they were, they're sitting right here. <clears throat> now things start to make sense. A vision appears to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. <clears throat> That's a pretty strong calling. I mean, I've, I've never had a vision. I've never had, uh, you know, uh, any sort of, I don't know what it would be like. But obviously for Paul, it was beyond his own imagination. It was something he knew it was the Lord that revealed himself to him before. And the Lord allows this guy um, from Macedonia, if in fact it was him or if it was just God showing him, he was calling um, uh, Paul. So now Paul switches gears. And when he had seen the vision... It says, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. What's unique about that verse, different from the other verses? How is Luke writing now? Yeah, his first time he's including himself. So at some point, Luke joined them in this trip. So he was no longer just uh, the history, the historian, now he's giving a first-person account. He said, come over to Macedonia and help us, right? But then he goes, when he had seen the vision, Paul, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Yeah, I mean, like, you, you, we could get together and we could say, okay, let's, no, the Lord has called us to go do something, Right? And that's and that's how that's this is how churches I believe should be led. It shouldn't be one person saying, you know, this is my vision and this is what I'm doing, and you guys are going to come and follow me. God's got to be up, but God uses the other brethren, other people, believers, male, female, whatever you want to say, and He uses them to confirm the calling. We saw that. So I'm assuming here that's probably what happened. Hey, let's go and let's go to Asia. Let's go down to Thyatira. And and one of the brethren may have said, "Hey, you know what? I don't. It's the, I don't feel. I feel like the Lord is is really. I think we need to wait." And maybe then Paul prayed again and said, "You know what? You're right. God doesn't want us to go down there." And then we see why. He's got a different mission. He has a different mission than they intended, than they thought. How many times have you thought you were going to do one thing? You thought you were just going to the grocery store, but God had a whole different, had a whole different plan. Remember Michael's testimony, the worship guy. He, had a, he was just heading over to Lowe's one night. And he's in, a, he's in, a, he's in his car. There's, there's traffic. And gets out of the car and there's a guy laying down that had a heart attack at the wheel. And he was not a very, he wasn't a strong believer at the time, but he was a believer and the Lord put it on his heart to pray for that guy. And he asked the cop, can I, can I pray for him? 
The cop said, he's gone. Michael laid hands on him and prayed for him, and he took a gasp right at that point. And connected with that guy and still connects with him. And the guy was a believer from Poland. And it's this whole cool story, right? How many times, that's a pretty dramatic story, but how many times would you think that you're, you're, you're doing one thing, but God has a completely different plan for you? And so I want to encourage you, if you're maybe in that situation even now in your life where you're sort of wandering, you know, you're, you're, you feel like that wandering generality and just sort of, you know, ship without a rudder sort of thing, you know, just stay focused, listen to the Lord, go to your brothers and sisters, pray, and God will lead you. He, he promises to do that. And so they concluded, hey, listen, I just saw this vision. Everybody was united on this. Let's go. Let's go preach the gospel to them. But is that what God had planned? So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace and on the day following to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in the city for some days. All right, Lord, you left. We're here. (laughs) What do you want us to do? Where's this guy? Is that him? Is that him? No, that doesn't look like him. I don't even know who it is. I can't even remember, maybe. But now they're going into a district that's literally uh, um, a carbon copy of Rome. Because that's what what Rome used to try to do. Their goal was to colonize the world and make the world many Romes all over the place. And so when they went to Philippi, and this is the, this is the, um, the essence of citizenship when we see that in the scriptures. When Paul says our citizenship is not here, it's in heaven. What he's saying is the same thing. He's actually, I think, actually speak, was speaking to the Philippians when he said that. Because they knew that their citizenship the way they thought about things was, yes, I'm a Roman citizen, but I'm living in Philippi to colonize Philippi to make that more Roman. You got that? And so the concept is our citizenship is in heaven, but not to go to there to colonize heaven with heaven, not in, you know, um, on earth as it is in heaven, in heaven as it is in heaven. No, it's on earth as it is in heaven. We want to colonize the earth with heaven. And that's our job as kingdom people, is to bring heaven to earth. And that's what we do as many temples of the Holy Spirit walking around. So I know that's a little bit off beaten trail here a little bit, but Philippi was, was this strong Roman uh, uh, city. <clears throat> and all over the place, everywhere you looked, were statues, some of them very um, obscene, to, to, for lack of a better way to say it. But the, the image of Caesar was everywhere in these colonies. So everywhere you go, you're going to see Caesar Augustus, son of God. And that was the gospel. When somebody said gospel during this time, they're not thinking of 
like we think of gospel. They're thinking of the announcement and proclamation that Caesar is Lord. And everybody had to honor and worship his image. And that's why it was put everywhere on the coins, imprinted into the buildings. And it's okay to have other gods as long as they don't usurp Caesar. And so you can see how the gospel's being played out. They're told now to go preach the gospel over to Macedonia, and now they're put in to this area, which the word gospel is about Caesar. And so here we have a really cool uh, insight into, you know, when Paul, and we're going to see in Acts 17 next time, we, next week, the accusation against the Christians wasn't that they were going around telling everyone how to get to heaven and that's really making us mad. No, what were they preaching? In Acts 17, does anyone know? They were preaching another king, Jesus. That's the sin. That's the violation. That was the crime that they were committing. You can't proclaim a king. And back then when you proclaimed another king, you were automatically saying the existing king is a caricature. He's just, he's nothing if you're saying there's another king. There was, any, there was no room for two kings in this culture. <clears throat> so you could see, you've you got to be sensitive to the calling, right? <clears throat> when you went to China, Aunt, did you just go around to China and just, you, no, right? Let's just go hang out in China and <laughs> preach the gospel. And No, you're like, let's be sure that first of all, God has called me there. Okay, because the last thing you want to do is step out and try to be, you know, super Christian in an area where God hasn't called you, number one, but in a hostile area, it's even worse. And so you have to be sensitive to these call, to the calling, but you have to know your calling. It is to preach, but you want to be sensitive and be let out here. <clears throat> so, yeah, so Paul's hanging out now. And uh, it's the Sabbath day, no synagogue. And so where did they go? They go down to a river. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. See, this, um, first of all, if there was... um, historians say that this was a a typical thing to do uh, in this culture is if you were going to go pray and worship gods or do whatever you were going to do, you typically went down to a body of water and that was the place where you would do that. People would gather like a park, you know, like we say, Hey, let's have a picnic. We associate that with what? Let's go to the park. Well, back then it was, Hey, let's go pray. They would say, let's go down to the, to the river. So Paul he, he, on the Sabbath day, he didn't have a synagogue. Now, we know that for two reasons. One, because he would have probably went there. But what else does this verse tell us of why there wouldn't be a synagogue? Any hints? Anybody get it? Verse 13. Okay, what is... Didn't they need a certain amount of men in order to yeah, so if there wasn't an, a certain amount, they had to have five families. <clears throat> and so you, if, if, you, if you didn't have five families, 
or if you didn't have any male, males to be able to start that, uh, um, you know, somebody in the, in the Jewish religion, they had to have a male to start it. So the, we're, we're, what we're looking at here is um, a, not a big presence of uh, the Jewish people in this area, but there were some women. So they went down there and they went to the women who had assembled. And so that's where Paul... He's like, well, where's the guy? You know, like, where's the guy that was calling us over here? If it was a group of women calling him over to come to Macedonia, it'd been great. Here they are. You know, again, we don't know what God is doing, do we? We do because we know the end. If you read the chapter, but again, they had no idea that this. We're thinking we're going to meet some guy over in Macedonia, but we're going to see what God has in store here. So, a woman named Lydia. Um, and uh, her name means travail, to travail, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of of purple fabrics. And if you look in the book of Revelation, there's hints to this in the letter to Thyatira about how there's a huge garment industry out there. And I wish I remembered the scripture, but that the the Lord gives them a rebuke. Um, Commenting on that, that yes, they are a supplier of this, yet um, he was calling them back, I believe, to true worship. But Lydia was a worshiper of God. She was one of the women probably down going down to pray, and she was listening to Paul. And then something miraculous happened. The Lord opened her heart. He just didn't open her heart. He opened her heart to respond to the things that were spoken by Paul. You see, without responding to our faith, our faith should, if you're not responding in your faith, if you're not reacting to the fact that God has opened your heart, then that would concern me. You could be a believer of God. Could the demons believe, right? But your heart has to be open to the word of God, to the gospel, in order for that conversion to take place. And that's the way I interpret this. I, I, I believe, <clears throat> you know, not getting into uh, predestination, election, and all that stuff. I, I just think that, yeah, she, she, knew, she knew the God of the Old Testament, but she, her, she didn't get converted and born again by the gospel until God opened her heart. But what had to happen first? The gospel had to be preached. Words had to be spoken. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now we're going to start to see some repetition here. So if you go back to Acts 15, you don't have to go there, but we made a comment on this last week. Acts 15, verses 16, is, pro- is the prophet Amos speaking about the Gentiles coming into the tabernacle of God, coming into the household of God. <clears throat> and so it says, after these things, I will return. I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, or household, same thing. And I will rebuild its ruins, I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, 
who makes these things known from long ago. So now Luke is going to start playing off of this household of God being remade to not only just be the people that are geographically located in Israel, but also everyone who believes by faith is now part of that remade Israel. Not replacing Israel. This isn't replacement theology. It's the remaking of Israel, right? That's what Jesus did, the 12 disciples, you know, the 12 tribes. And this is a, the Holy Spirit now going out and being able to, 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 to rebuild this house. And it's going to include the Gentiles. So we're going to see Luke start to use this word a lot now, this household. When she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you had judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So we're seeing households being saved. It happened that as we were going, this is verse 16, hey Vivian, to the place of the prayer, to, to, to the place of prayer, maybe back to the river. A slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed in turn and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of that very moment. So again, this is about authority. Okay, this girl was given this demonic influence, the authority over her. And again, what was she doing? She was selling idols. Because that's what they would do. She would, she would prophesy and she would say different things and people would you know, say, oh, well, if you buy this little idol, this little statue... You know, you could, you could take this with you. The things that I'm saying will be present through that idol, through that image, whatever the case may be. And so she was using the same technique with Paul and Barnabas. Oh, so, yeah, look, I know this too. They're servants of the Most High God. They know the way of salvation. It wasn't, she wasn't proclaiming the only God. She was just saying that's what, the, probably repeating them. And Paul immediately turned around <laughs> He was greatly annoyed. He gets annoyed a lot. He's a man on a mission. And he says, I'm, I'm taking that authority back. And she, and she, you know, ends up becoming free. But then there's a problem. Her masters in verse 19 saw their hope of profit gone. And they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion being Jews and they're proclaiming customs, which is not lawful for us to accept or observe being Romans. So the Jewish people were a thorn in the flesh of these these Roman outposts. They were kicked out of Rome and uh, Jerusalem were kicked out of Rome several times before this because they were just annoying to the people with because they weren't cooperating with that of things of Caesar. They had all these rules, these regulations. They couldn't go here. They couldn't go there. So the Jewish people were a thorn in the flesh. They were like, you know, here they are again. They followed us down here. And, you know, they're trying to, you know, mix things up. And, and they take all, they're taking our profit. 
we, you know, and that they went to the chief magistrates who were probably taking a cut. And so they dragged them. Now, I just thought this is pretty unique because this word dragged is, uh, is used a few other times in the Gospels. One in John six forty four, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Remember Jesus said that? And then I will raise him up on the last day. Well, that word draw is really the word drag. It's the same word here that they use to drag. Jesus also said, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Drag, right? And why is that so important? Because we see in this passage, in this chapter, we see a woman, Lydia, who has her heart opened by God. That's literally just what happened with her even though she was a worshiper of God. And so I love that word, and and James uses it too, about being dragged into court. And so this shows the love that God has for us to grab us in our sin and not try to, you know, woo us romantically, although he does do it lovingly, but he knows what he's dealing with. He's dealing with a concrete heart. Each of us had a concrete, hard heart towards God. So God has to, in his love, do an amazing work, something that no man can do, and that is take out that heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh that's able to receive and to to respond to God. So they now um, are... The crowd rises up. The chief magistrates tore their robes off, proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. <clears throat> this was a, uh, a, a Roman punishment. Rome, when they punished you, they would inflict damage to you so that you would never want to mess with them again. As we know with the crucifixion, that was one of their specialties. But prior to that, they would give you a chance. And um, beaten with rods um, was not just chasing you down and beating you down with rods. It was a ceremony. It was a, you were chained up, you were spread out. Usually you'd be wrapped around some sort of rock or boulder to make sure that your, your, your lots were spread out and you would get, you would get beat pretty bad. <clears throat> You're, you would probably uh, have some broken bones. You would definitely have some bruises and cuts. <clears throat> And that's what they did. They struck them with many blows. And then they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And then about midnight, Paul says to Silas, or Silas says to Paul, are you sure you received this vision? No. (laughs) Is this what you called us to do? I told you we should have went down into Asia. No. But here we see, right, a a specific call by God. Come and go to Macedonia. I have a wonderful plan for your life. You're going to be beaten with rods for my namesake. And sometimes this happens. But Paul and Silas, they knew that the Lord was with them. They knew that they followed. They were sure of their calling. So what did they do? Chained up. 
in the stocks about midnight. They start praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Now they were singing hymns of praise. This is, they were singing Psalms. And that's what the Jewish people did. They had, if you ever see in the Psalms, the Psalms of praise, these were traditional Psalms that they would sing. This could have been the night, this could have been a Sabbath, I don't know, but they were probably, this was probably a regular part of their worship. But what makes it super unique is that they are praising God, the one that just led them specifically through this region, preventing them from going here, preventing them from going there, they preach the gospel, they save, Lydia gets saved, a woman gets uh, exercised, a demon outside of her, a lot of good works being done, and now they get beaten with rods. And now they're thrown into prison. I mean, can't get any worse. But I can't imagine them saying, hey, remember what happened with Peter? You know, like, it happened a couple times where the chains fell off and the doors were open. They knew that God was able to save them, even in this situation. Or maybe, just maybe, this was the reason why God sent them there. Suddenly, a great earthquake happens. The foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened. And everyone's chains were unfastened. So the earthquake wasn't so abnormal. But just so that people knew what was going on, God said, I'm going to do a miracle here as well. <laughs> and unchain, I mean, you, these, th- these are shackles that come unchained. But not just them, everyone's. Such a picture of what God does t- for us when he does drag us to Christ. He's taking the chains off of our hands. He's taking the chains of sin, the chains of bondage to our past, the chains of... Uh, uh, willful sin that we have. We're going to see today that in the, in the sermon, we see a woman who was, had seven demons cast out of her. You know, we know who that is, Mary Magdalene. And what does God do? He frees her and then he uses her. So God frees them and now is going to use them. The jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open and he drew a sword and said, I'm just going to I'm going to just take care of this right now because I'm going to be severely beaten and probably killed. And he wants to kill himself because the prisoners had escaped. And that's weird. We're going to learn in a little bit that this guy, this jailer was like, he had a family, you know, this was pretty serious. (laughs) I'm going to kill myself and forget about it. But Paul cried out with a loud voice. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Hit the lights. And they came rushing in, and they trembled with fear. Well, he trembled with fear. And here is the reason why Paul ultimately, I believe, came to this place, was to get beaten, thrown in jail. Now, God could have just had this guy be a part of one of the groups Paul was talking to. Paul, God could have said, look, walk by the prison uh, around 6 in the morning. A guy's going to come out. You know, do one of your, you know, praying over him and save him, right? God could have did that. He didn't. God chose pain, suffering, trial, tribulation, and bondage in order to get his will done through his people. 
How does that resonate with you? How does it resonate with what maybe you're going through? Nothing is impossible with God, right? Mm -hmm. Trials and tribulation are just a bleep on the screen. I know it's easy to say when, you know, I'm here breathing and I'm like, you know, semi-healthy guy, right? Family, home, heat, water. It's easy to say that. But all of us are going to be put into, into situations, not exactly like this, but where our faith is going to be tested. We have to remember why God called, what God did. He called us to the place we're at. And this jailer gets converted. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven words in English. Most amazing seven words anyone can ever say to you. Well, what, what, what do I do then? How do I get saved? Right? Such a great thing to hear that. Maybe you'll hear it once or twice so specifically in your life. Maybe you'll hear it more. <clears throat> Paul says to them very simply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Again, that household word. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were there in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized. So here we see evidence of conversion. We see the jailer take the prisoner that he had, <laughs> that he had ordered to, to kill him, basically, if they try to escape. And now his heart is changed where he's washing their wounds. And then that's, see, that to me is an expression more than the baptism. That's real. That's, that's a, an act of faith. And he gets baptized. Now he wants to be identified in that Christian community. He and what? All his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. See, again, we see this repetition. And we're going to talk about repetition today, large-scale repetition, small-scale repetition. This is a small-scale repetition that Luke is drawing our attention to. Household, the household of God is being built. <clears throat> and then it basically after that, the magistrates came and said, uh, release those guys, you know, get those, these guys out of here. Because we're messing with something beyond what we could handle. And of course, Paul says, no, they've beaten us publicly without a trial. We are Romans. Uh-oh. And they've thrown us into prison. Uh-oh. And now they're sending us away secretly. See, these magistrates, this outpost in, over here in Philippi, this hotbed is accountable to Rome. And if you beat a Roman citizen outside of a trial, you are going to get your life taken away. So these guys figured this out. And they also saw what was going on with the prison, the jailer, the divination got, the lady. got. So they're like, just move on. Just, just get out of town. <laughs> Go. And Paul's like, no, we're Roman citizens. So we're going to, you know, again, Paul being a little bit of annoying, a little jabbing it a little bit, giving it to him. <clears throat> Let them come our, themselves and, and bring us out. So the policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates. They were afraid when they heard they were Romans, and they, they came and appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. And so we see Lydia again here. 
They went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So we see a really neat lesson here. When God calls you, don't expect everything to be easy. When God is bringing you somewhere, taking you through something, don't expect it to be easy. It's going to be hard. But God has, it could be hard. It could be easy sometimes too. It's not always hard. But look how he took Paul in the second journey, this argument from Barnaby, Barnabas and Silas. I was going to say Barney. But, and so they get split up. But God knew what he was doing the whole time. They prayed. They sought the Lord. They went here. They went there. They saw, had a vision here, a vision there. Little altercation here, a little beat with rods, a little jail time. And then boom, God says, that jailer is mine. I want to save that guy. And so he sent his people to do it. So ask yourself, who is God calling you to? What, what, what is he doing in your life right now? What route is he taking you that you think you maybe went this way, you took a wrong turn? Keep your eyes open. Anybody have any other application or comments? All right. I guess we'll stop there. Chris, you close us? Sure. Thank you. All right. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you and praise you for your um, work of salvation that you spread, not only in the scriptures we read that you do so again today, Lord. We Think of our brothers and sisters around the world who face extreme persecution in the face of um, sharing your word, sharing the gospel with others, Lord. We pray for your boldness to be given them, your encouragement to them and to those around them and to believers in these places. We pray that you would use us to support them, Lord, and use them to encourage us to be far more bold where we face um, so minimal persecution and risk, Lord. And, I pray that we would be convicted to do so and to glorify your name in every area where we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.